Welcome to Breaking the Barrier, a podcast focused on Western trailblazers who are breaking barriers both in and out of the arena. I'm your host, Rebel Seclocha. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Robin Sherbarth, who is integral in putting on the Legend Buttes horse sale in Crawford, Nebraska. Robin is an accomplished horsewoman with an extensive background in the rodeo arena and the show pen. Robin, it's truly a privilege to have you share your knowledge with us. Thank you for having me on, Rebel. Uh, we've known each other for a long time, and I'm just thrilled that you have this position and thought of me to interview. We have known each other for a long time, which makes it even more fun to be visiting with you today. But to start, you do a lot of behind-the-scenes work with the Legend Buttes Horse Sale. Tell us some of the common courtesies of looking at horses slash how to go about marketing a horse if you have one for sale. So first off, if you're in the market for a horse, whether you see an ad on Facebook or you see a horse in a catalog, always uh, read it thoroughly. If they've posted the age, note that. Look over the bloodlines and papers if they've posted those and read the ad carefully and then write down your questions and then give the consigner or seller a call. If people are trying to sell their horse, they should be more than willing to visit with you about the horse. So um, compile your thoughts and your questions and then give them a call. And if you're buying privately, it's always a good idea to uh, go look at the horse and schedule a time being courteous of the seller's time, of course. If you'd like to have a vet check, um, it depends on where you're at. If you're close enough, you can bring your own vet or schedule a vet to come out if you would like to have a vet check done. Make sure that's always at the buyer's expense. And if you live far away from uh, the seller, it's a good idea to take into consideration their recommendation of their vet. And I know some people might say, well, what if their vet lies or something like that? But more than likely, you're going to run into a case where there's a vet who has done everything for that horse from its teeth getting done to regular vaccinations. And their regular vet is most likely going to have the most in-depth knowledge of that horse to be able to provide you with the information you need to make a smart decision as a buyer. And then if you're looking at a horse that's consigned to a horse sale, once again, look through the information, uh, call the consigner at our particular sale. We always list the consigner's name and number. And once again, you're more than welcome to go try the horse before the sale or at the sale. We offer a preview where you can watch the horse ridden by the consigner and then bring your own saddle, saddle up and, and try the horse yourself. We want to make sure every horse is a good fit, whether my husband and I are selling horses privately or uh, they're consigned on the sale. Um, at our particular sale, the horses do come with a soundness guarantee for a couple of days just to make sure when you get them home, nothing was drugged or buted or anything like that. So we have a soundness guarantee. Horses are uh, examined by our vet uh, at Cheyenne River Animal Hospital as the Crawford Livestock Vet. And so our horses at our sale are vetted beforehand. They come with current housing coggins and can then go anywhere in the country. So just read the ads carefully. If they posted the age, don't waste their time by asking how old it is. So just be very careful when you read through the ads and then call the consigner with uh, pertinent questions. Maybe ask, 
how does he do when traveling or how is he in the pen with other horses or however your setup is, uh, make note of that and then talk to the consigner and say, do you think this would be a good fit? And I'm more than willing to tell people if a horse may not be a good fit, I'm always open for them to come try it for themselves. But uh, we want to be honest and open with buyers. And uh, I think a lot of other people do. Yes, there are still horse traders in the world, but um, I think for the most part, people want to get their horses into good homes. And if they're selling, maybe they can't have that horse anymore. Uh, Maybe there is there's usually a reason and oftentimes it's not the horse's fault. And if it is a behavioral issue, usually people are pretty willing to make that known up front. Absolutely. So we'll talk more about buying off of a sale later, but when you're visiting with a private consigner, what are maybe some red flags that may arise that you might want to avoid or some positive things that they might do that can reinforce your decision? Right. So if a, someone is not interested in showing a video to you, that is the first red flag. Um, I like to send time stamped photos so people know they are current, that I have taken these photos within the week or that day. Uh, so photos and videos that are current are very important. We like to show everything from picking up their feet, being bridled, saddled, and then ridden at all different gates. Another thing you should look for is I do like to make fun videos, but you want to show the transition. So if you see a horse loping in a video and then all of a sudden the video is cut and he's then trotting the other way, that might mean that the horse has poor downward transitions. He doesn't steer well. And so you want to make note of that and ask the consigner specifically, can I see his transitions of the gates and a full unedited video of certain things, maybe stop and then right into a backup or lead changes. Those are things that I like to see. And as a potential buyer, other people should want to look for. And then if you do go visit the horse, make sure they're willing to let you ride it. Make sure you come in proper riding attire with tack. And if they want you to use your saddle, but their saddle pad and bridle be mindful of that courtesy. Um, There are people that maybe the horse is a little too much. And so I will politely explain to them why maybe this isn't a good fit. But for the most part, you should have discussed that before the farm visit. And then, you know, they should let you ride the horse. If they make you sign a waiver, that's fine. Um, But make sure you feel safe and the consigner feels safe and you're very open about your expectations and what you're planning on doing with the horse. You know, the joke is kind of everyone seems to want an eight-year-old bomb-proof kid's horse for $2,500, but that's on, that's not necessarily the case. And, um, you know, there's plenty of memes on Twitter that circulate of, you know, different horse ads gone wrong and whatnot. But once you kind of make a decision, maybe, you know, this horse is a good fit for you. How do you go about negotiating respectfully and making it beneficial for both parties that are involved? So a little tip to sellers, always ask at least $500 more than you need. Everybody loves to bargain, and that can be a good way for you to make sure your horse gets to a good home. 
if I'm willing to take 4,000 bottom dollar, I might ask closer to five and say uh, cash inquiries or willing to negotiate on the ad. And I, like I said, I do that. So I give myself a little breathing room. But then as a buyer, if you are capable in paying in cash, cash always talks. Um, if you aren't, you could explain to them, you know, I really like your horse. I'm very interested. I would be giving it a great home, but this is what I can spend. And I'm happy to offer you this today. If they don't take it, which they might not, um, that's fine. Be respectful of that. You can say, call me if you would like to take this offer at another time. I would still be interested in the horse. But being open about it is first and foremost. Um, you know, cash is important because that money is good. You could say, I'd be happy to wire you the money um, so you know it's immediate. Sometimes people are hesitant to bargain if you're offering a check because it's hard to verify that the money is there. So offering um, a way through like Zelle is a basically it's like PayPal or Venmo, but through banks. So the money will be there. Uh, Zelle or wire or cash is a good way to offer to pay when you're wanting a discount because then they know that money is going to be there. Also, I don't uh, send the papers with a horse if it's registered until the check clears if I do take uh, checks. So I'll say, sure, I'm willing to basically bargain with you, but you will receive the full documentation of this horse once the check clears. And that's another way to prevent people from wanting to maybe pull a fast one on you. Um, but then as a buyer, like I said, having a good, solid way to pay is the best way to offer up your money if you're not offering what they originally asked for. Absolutely. So that's kind of how to go about private transactions. But switching gears to the sales side of things, what are the advantages to selling and buying on a sale? The advantages for selling on sale, in my opinion, there's many, many advantages of buying and selling on a sale, of course. So as a seller, you get to bring your horse to one location and meet with potentially hundreds of different people. Now, no one, if you want 5000 for your horse, that's a good even number. No one is going to come to your house and tell you they've got $10,000 in their pocket ready to burn that's never going to happen. They're going to give you what you asked for it. Well, at a sale, no one knows how much you want for it. They only know how much they're willing to spend. And especially if you have a quality horse that's either kid broke, uh, rodeo queen broke, broke to rope off of, if you have a solid horse that's sound, you are very likely to get a surprising amount more for your horse than if you were to sell it private. Now, if you have a horse that maybe has behavioral issues or unsoundness issues, it's probably best to market it privately uh, because you will find those people who are willing to take a risk on it, whereas at a sale, people might not be as willing to take a risk on a horse like that. So for sellers, um, you get to see lots of different people in one spot without having to set up multiple different meetings with potential buyers because they're all in one place on the same day. Additionally, coming from a sale, your money's guaranteed. It's the sales uh, 
opportunity, we, like at our sale, for instance, and the majority of sales, we contact the bank of every potential buyer. They have to call in and either pay with cash, a credit card, or have a letter from their banker. So as a seller, your money is guaranteed, and you always have the option to no sale. You do have a fee, of course, at a sale. Um, most sales are anywhere from 7 to 8% commission is pretty standard. So you do take a small cut. But if you're getting thousands more for your horse, often it's worth it. And then for buyers, once again, you get to drive to one location and see dozens or even hundreds, depending on the sale, of different horses that might fit your needs. Once again, saving wear and tear on your vehicle. So those are some of the pros that I think there are when buying and selling at higher end sales. So you were mentioning some red flags to avoid when you're looking at horse sale videos and things like that. So when it comes to making a video, if I were to go out and make a sale video for my horse, what are some things I should include to be courteous to potential buyers? And what are some things that are going to make my video that much more appealing? So what I like to do is um, I start out with the film with just a still photo of the horse, the name, the age, a uh, little bit about the horse, and that usually is about eight seconds long, long enough for you to be able to read it in your head. And then I go right into a quick clip of picking up the feet. Now, often I speed this up so it's not two minutes of just picking up its feet, but people can see the behavior of the horse if he's standing still. If I'm going around it, you know, you speed up the clip, it doesn't waste their time, but they can see the behavior of the horse. And then I go right into the gates. Always include a trot. That is the gate where you can see unsoundness. So I walk. I usually walk a figure eight, trot a figure eight, lope a figure eight, um, doing whatever type of lead change the horse does best. Or maybe I'll do one flying and one simple. Stop and then a spin each way. Then I go into some fun things. Then we transition to if the horse ropes, do some roping clips, maybe dragging a calf. Or if your horse trail rides, you could show it walking through a creek or up a steep hill. And those I kind of cut and paste, you know, so I don't waste people's time of a 10-minute trail ride. So they can get the gist of, yes, you walk down the hill, into the creek, up and out. Pretty self-explanatory. Then at the end of the video, I go back and show the bridling, the saddling. And one thing that I like to do is when I'm showing those videos on walk, trot, lope, or maybe trail riding that might not be as exciting, I can split the screen. And iMovie, if you have an iPhone, it's a free app. There's lots of free video editing apps that can make very quality videos. You can split the screen, and then you can take up-close photos. So I always take an up-close, zoomed-in photo of all four feet. If it's a grade horse where it doesn't have papers, I take a photo of its teeth so people can see I'm representing the age accurately. And then you can put a split screen and put those specialized photos on the side where people can choose to look over at that or watch the video of the horse loping around. And that puts more information into one video and try not to keep them longer than about six minutes where people kind of lose interest sometimes if uh, so I like to keep it short and sweet with as much information as possible. Opening another can of worms here, 
Bloodlines often come up a lot in this conversation. For those unfamiliar, explain the importance of bloodlines and how those influence purchasing decisions. Specifically in younger horses, of course, we're going to see the want and need for particular bloodlines. And the reason bloodlines are important are they are a look into the potential future of the horse. Now, we know you can have full siblings that can be polar opposites. Uh, However, knowing the bloodlines can give you a very good look into how the horse might turn out. Yes, there are some stereotypes with particular bloodlines that may or may not be true. But for instance, a race-bred horse might be a little hotter. Maybe that horse will um, need a little more uh, groundwork, or maybe that horse will need a little more instruction when learning to roll back on its hocks in order to make a nice stop. Whereas maybe a cowbred horse or a reiner, if you've ever ridden one really nice as a colt, they do have a natural stop oftentimes. So maybe that particular horse might need some exercises to free it up a little bit and use that forward momentum because that horse might be naturally focused on the stop. Um, So that is why bloodlines are so important is because if you're interested in a particular discipline, the bloodlines are so specialized now and the disciplines are, you're going to want to find the best bloodlines for your particular discipline. That doesn't mean that you can't take a cutter and run barrels on it or vice versa, but I would lean towards finding a cutter for cutting and a barrel racer horse for barrel racing. So in with papers, one, a mare is very important um, if you ever want to breed it. So you have to have a papered horse, of course. Well, you don't have to, I guess, to breed it. But if you want to register the baby, the mare has to be papered. Uh, we do see a lot of ranch gildings that are not papered. Our last two high sellers in the Legend Butte sale were grade gildings. So that speaks a lot for their training, but we do have uh, some very high selling horses that were young and some even unstarted that sold very high because of their bloodlines and the potential those bloodlines may have. Speaking of papers, kind of going back to marketing, if you don't mind, one way to tell if someone has had their horse for a reasonable amount of time and to avoid horse traders is, is the horse registered in their current name? As soon as I buy a horse, I immediately transfer it. It's only $25 if you're an American Quarter Horse member or a Paint Horse member. And I believe it's 40 if you're not a member. So it's really important to always transfer the horses into your, your name when you purchase them, especially if you're going to sell them. And additionally, horses have to be transferred in your name if you're ever going to breed them or show them. So if you buy from someone who never transferred it into their name, the American Quarter Horse Association is going to give you a lot of grief for that. And it may hinder your ability to show or breed that horse in the future. So that's one thing to keep in mind when buying and selling horses is make sure those papers are always up to date in the current owner's name. Absolutely. And I like that you brought up the high seller piece from your sale. I grew up personally riding an old grade paint ranch horse. And so you can definitely find a horse that fits your needs that that isn't necessarily registered, but it's definitely a handy tool if you can navigate that and you know what you're looking for. Is there anything else you'd like to add on the topic of bloodlines? 
Um, I just think it's important to research your bloodlines, but always take it with a grain of salt. Uh, you hear things about the impressive bred horses, which are halter horses, or you hear things about Hancocks. Um, but judge every horse as an individual. Is it conformed properly? Does it have good balance and structure? If it looks great on the outside um, and it behaves well, maybe the papers on that particular horse aren't as big of a deal, especially on a gilding. But if you are looking for a prospect, think hard about the discipline that you're interested in and then reach out to breeders in that discipline. And there's lots of different horses of, for all budgets with different bloodlines. You might find a grandson or a granddaughter, which with the right cross can be just as good as an own son or daughter. So take them with a grain of salt research the bloodlines. A great resource for people is All Breed Pedigree. That has everything from Appaloosas, paint horses, thoroughbreds, quarter horses, about any breed of pedigrees can be found on All Breed Pedigree. And so you can click on the horses and some of the horses have information written about them. So if you're not an AQHA member or an APHA member, using All Breed Pedigree is an incredible free database that you can research bloodlines on. Now that we've talked about bloodlines and marketing and, and doing all of those things, you mentioned, you know, finding a horse that fits your specific needs. And I think a lot of people get a little caught up in maybe buying the flashiest horse or the shining star, thinking that it's going to be right for them. Um, but it might not necessarily fit their skill level or the things that they're wanting to do. Talk a little bit about that and, and finding a, a good fit for you. Right. So I love color. My parents grew up, um, we had paint horses and I've got palominos and bugskins and we've got lots of color, of course. But the first thing I always look at is confirmation. Is it built to do the job I want? No matter if you're roping, barrel racing, cutting, reining, trick riding, a horse needs to be balanced. We need the angles of the shoulder to match the angles of the hip. We need strong, straight legs. And those things are the, the bones of the horse. And so if you have good bones, um, you're pretty much set up for success. And color can hide a lot of those things. But we want to look at the structure of the horse first. And like I said earlier, there are so many breeders nowadays that if you look hard enough and you want to find a palomino with four white socks and a star on its face, you can probably find it. Um, but if you're just looking for what I call a steady eddy trail horse, um, you can make any horse shine with good feed and lots of brushing. So look for horses that fit your personality. If you want something a little more high strung, you need to research the bloodlines that may have uh, personalities like that or training like that. But meaning the horse and analyzing the horse in front of you is the most important thing. And then color can come later. Um, in any event, color is not judged. Even in the Paint Horse Association, we don't judge color. They are judging strictly off of the ability of the horse. And that's what we need to do as potential buyers is look at the horse in front of us. And if you do have something in mind, you can be picky about it. But you might need to up your budget if you're looking for a Palmino or a Buckskin because, or Blue Roan. Because oftentimes 
those horses are so sought after that the sellers are willing to increase the prices because of the demand. Once again, that was Robin Sherbarth sharing information on how to effectively buy and market horses. If interested in listing a horse on the Legend Buttes horse sale or getting help writing a sale ad or creating a video, you can contact Robin directly by emailing legendbuttesforsale at gmail.com. I'm Rebel Seclocha, and you're listening to the Breaking the Barrier podcast.